Hey, everybody. It's Rachel Zabo. I'm the podcast producer here at Love Thy Neighborhood, and I am here in the studio with... Jesse Eubanks, founder and executive director of Love Thy Neighborhood. Hey, Jesse. Hey. So tell everybody about why we're in the studio today. Yeah, so uh, we realized that, you know, a lot of our listeners really only know us through the podcast, and that's only a portion of the overall work that we do. And so we wanted to take a little time today to reflect on where we came from as an organization, what specifically has happened over this last year. It's been a great year. Uh, we want to share about that. And then also want to talk about where we're going over the next three years. Yeah, so like you said, the podcast is really only a small part of what we do. And so just to give folks a picture of the broader scope of Love Thy Neighborhood as an organization. To start, you know, I kind of want to talk about young adults because Love Thy Neighborhood, we offer internships for young adults, and that's a large part of what we do. And so talk to me some about the stage of life known as young adulthood. Well, I think we can at least start with like this basic truth that we all agree on, which is that young adulthood is hard and it is confusing. Young adulthood is just really challenging. Um, adulthood another, is challenging huh? in general. Yeah, adulthood <laughs> in general. Adulthood, yeah, adulthood, adulthood in general is challenging. So I think, you know, young adults are are wrestling with questions like, who am I? Uh, what do I believe? Uh, where am I going? How am I going to survive? Uh, how am I going to pay off my student loans? At what point do I even become an adult? I know it's somewhere after the age of 16 and somewhere before the age of like 45, but I don't know where in there I'm finally an adult. And so young adulthood is tricky because uh, we live in an era and a culture that makes it all very ambiguous and very complex. Yeah, it's like all at the same time, extremely formative and also extremely confusing. Right. Totally. So uh, just a couple years ago, this book came out called Growing With by Kara Powell and Steve Argue. And um, they talk about this idea of emerging adulthood. So I want to talk a little bit today about what is emerging adulthood. You know, why does it matter? And basically what happens is that they break down emerging adulthood into three stages. The first stage is called the learner stage, and that's age 13 to 17 years old. And in this stage, young adults are learning traditional faith beliefs. So they are just, for the very first time, they're being exposed to the traditional faith beliefs of the culture around them. That doesn't necessarily mean that their family are even Christians, but maybe they go to a church for the first time. Or they are raised in a Christian family, and they're just absorbing the beliefs of their family. So in this learner stage, they're learning traditional faith beliefs. They're learning how to navigate broadening relationships. They're learning about vocational options. So they're learning about the, the potential to do whatever career for the very first time. They didn't know that it even existed. And then finally, they're, they're living at home. So their relationship with their family is, is typically pretty intimate because they are, they're under the direct influence of their family during this stage. So that's the learner stage, age 13 to 17. But then they move on to the explorer stage, and that's ages 18 to 23 years old. In this stage, they're exploring new beliefs. So in other words, they're, they've taken the, the beliefs that they were raised with, they have gone out from their home, they've gone out into the world, and they're now being exposed to new beliefs, new ways of seeing things. And in this stage, young adults' faith is very, very fluid. It's not firm yet because they're still forming it. They're trying to figure out what do they think. And they're being exposed to brand new ideas for the very first time. 
In this stage, they're exploring what's desired in relationships, like what do I even want uh, in, in my relationships in life. They're exploring vocational options, so they're actually starting to put their hands on the plow, try things out for the first time. And in that first stage, in the learner stage, they were living at home. In this stage, they're venturing out from home. They're going out to, to be uh, out in the world on their own. And then finally, that moves them into the focuser stage. And the focuser stage is age 24 to 29 years old. And in this stage, they're deepening their personal beliefs. So in other words, they've got the beliefs they were raised with. They've got these new beliefs that they were exposed to in their early 20s. And now what's happened is they've mixed those things together and they've made some choices. They've got some convictions and they are deepening the beliefs that they're going to base the rest of their life on. They are focusing on key relationships, so their world is actually getting a little smaller in some regard. They're just they're choosing to focus on very particular relationships. They're focusing on narrowing vocational options, so they're not dabbling as much anymore and trying the everything out. They kind of begin to have a sense of, this is what I want to do, and this is the trajectory that I'm on. And also they move to a posture of living interdependently. So as opposed to living at home, and then as opposed to going and venturing out away from home, now it's a thing where they're re-entering their relationships with their family and the people that they grew up with. And they're learning what does it mean to be an adult and what does it also mean for my parents to be parents of an adult child. So these three stages, the learner stage, the explorer stage, the focuser stage, those three things come together and that's what makes up emerging adulthood. And what that means is this, 18 to 29 years old are really critical and crucial years because people are building the foundation that they're going to build the rest of their life on. The other thing, too, about this stage is that these folks eventually are going to become our next leaders. The question is, you know, what type of leaders does God want them to be? And also, what kind of leaders do we need them to be? So there's just so much riding on this stage of life for young adults. Yeah, like you were talking about, it's a very critical stage in life, one for the individual, because like you said, you know, they're exploring, they're learning autonomy, you know, figuring out who they are, what they want to do. But then also, yeah, that is our future. Future leaders are coming from young adults and who they will be. And so what do we do about that? What do we do with this critical stage? Yeah. So I think it's it's important to recognize that young adults need guides to help them. And the role and the purpose of guides is to is to give guidance and clarity, but it's also to help them uh, be formed into a particular kind of person. Now, the issue is this. When we begin talking about formation, there's all these options, right? Like whatever you think the biggest problem is, is the type of formation that you're going to emphasize. So if you think the biggest need is for spiritual formation, you're going to emphasize prayer and Bible study and discipleship and accountability and spiritual disciplines. If you think that the biggest need is for physical formation, you're going to emphasize, hey, make sure that you eat well when you're young so it doesn't catch up with you when you get older. Make sure you develop good sleep habits, good exercise habits. If you think that the biggest need is relational formation, then you're going to emphasize, hey, you really need to do some deep work on counseling, on your interpersonal skills, on the way that you relate to other people. If you think the biggest need is vocational formation, you're going to emphasize skill sets 
and you need to get an education and you need to get the right opening at the right job and you need to surround yourself with the right professionals and work on your professional network. So whatever it is that you think is the most important formation that's needed, that's what you're going to emphasize. So what which one is most important? Like, what's the right answer here? Well, our conviction at Love That Neighborhood is it's all four of those things. We think that there is a need for spiritual formation, physical formation, relational formation, and vocational formation. So we think it's all four of those things have to be brought together. And young adults really need guides that are going to help them with all of those things and not just emphasize one of them. Because it's not all that helpful if you are spiritually mature, but you don't know how to execute at your job. It's also not very helpful if you've got incredible relational skills, but you never sleep and you never take care of your body. So we believe that God wants uh, all four of these things to be tended to. And here's the thing, though, is like, that's only the first problem. So Wait, there's more problems? Yeah, so like, the, all this issue of young <laughs> adults, like, it was like, that's only the first problem. The second problem is this. We're in Louisville, Kentucky. There's incredible ministries and nonprofits all over our city. Louisville is, is it the second, has the second Louisville has the the second highest number of nonprofits per capita of any city in this region except for Chicago. Like, we generate nonprofits like crazy here. Yeah. So Around every corner. It's like, there's another nonprofit. Right, totally. But the problem is this, is that there's all these ministries, all these nonprofits, but they have no margin. So they're helping people in need. Hashtag ministry. Right. But their staff is like totally overwhelmed. Their staff is understaffed. There's not enough of them to really do all the work that they want to do. The bottom line is that these agencies need more help. So you've got this first problem, all this young adulthood stuff. you got the second problem of these ministries being understaffed and overwhelmed and that there's no margin. So that led us to start asking, well, what if... You know, what if we brought these two communities together? What if somehow these two problems were actually a solution for one another? And so that's actually where Love That Neighbor came from. In 2014, we dreamt up this idea of Love That Neighbor. We're going to recruit young adults from all over the world. They're going to relocate to our city. They're going to live in community with each other. They're going to be mentored and they're going to be part of a vibrant church. They're going to live in an at-risk neighborhood. They're going to serve full-time with an incredible ministry doing great work. And all of it came from the fact that we saw these two problems and we wanted to do something about it. Okay, so what does that look like? You know, you've created Love Thy Neighborhood as a way to kind of bring these two problems together as sort of like a solution for each other. But what does that look like? Like when you founded Love Thy Neighborhood, what did you want it based on? Like what were like some key principles or or passions or ideas that you wanted it centered around? Yeah, so we basically based it on three key things. So the first thing is nonprofit service. So there's how we think things are going to go in life, and there's how it actually goes in the real world. So we wanted to get young and adults... And those are never the same. Yeah, they're <laughs> never the same, right. Like, we wanted to get young adults, like, out of the classroom, and we wanted to get, like, their hands on the plow. We wanted them actually doing the work in the real world. And so nonprofit service was the first thing. The second thing was intentional community. 
we want to teach Christians how to do deep life with each other while they're in their 20s. Our conviction is the way you learn to do life in your 20s becomes the way you do it in your 30s, your 40s, and your 50s. And the extent to which you can't learn how to do deep life with other Christians when you're still in your 20s is the extent to which your life is going to be very hard. As much as we wish that we could protect young adults from life's unexpected tragedies and events that are going to come at them, we can't do that. But what we can do is show them how to build a community so that no matter what comes at them, they're going to be okay. So the first thing was nonprofit service. The second thing was intentional community. The third thing was finally was biblical discipleship. So we didn't want to just be people that do good or just be people that provide a family for each other. We wanted to do it based on our faith in Jesus. And we love others because he loved us first. And so we wanted to build a program that was going to help people grow deeper and deeper in their faith in Christ, experience his grace and his truth. So yeah, so we based it on these three things, nonprofit service, intentional community, biblical discipleship. Okay, so you said Love the Neighborhood launched in 2014, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So how did that go? I mean, this was kind of a new concept so was it was like an ancient new concept it was like right you know yeah it's got a little monasticism in there with a little modern entrepreneurial stuff i guess my i guess my question is were young adults interested yeah so we thought it was like an amazing idea and we were like oh this is gonna be great in fact it's very laughable now because if you look at like our original budgets that we drew up like we had to do it for the irs and it was like where we're gonna be in three years it was like giant. It was like, oh, we're gonna, this is going to go gangbusters. Uh, and so we like announced this thing and it's like two months between when we announce it and when people can first come and four people show up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I just left a secure job to launch this thing. And this is not what I thought and was going to happen. And it's all riding on four people. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is a problem. But the good news is this, is that over the years, more and more people kept coming. So now we've actually had over 200 young adults come and serve with us from all over the United States and then eventually from all over the world. Uh, We've had folks from the UK. We've had folks from Ghana, from Thailand. We had somebody come to serve with us from Hawaii, which seems like a a terrible life choice. Uh, How about I go to Hawaii and they can come here? Yeah, seriously, (laughs) we should swap places. Uh, We're in the wrong state. Intern swap. Um, so yeah, so we've had just folks come with us, come serve with us from all over the place. Uh, since we launched in 2014, young adults have donated over 97,000 hours of volunteer service. So just to give you a sense of what that means, that's a value of over $2 million given for free to all of these nonprofits and ministries around the city. Yeah. That, I mean, that's $2 million that these ministries would have needed to come up with right, that's to exactly attain right. the level of support that they got from these interns. Yep. And we were free. able to give it to them for free. Yeah. That's exactly right. Okay. So tell me some about what does this look like on a daily basis? You know, this is kind of like big picture LTN, but day in, day out, what does this look like for folks? Yeah. So most days of the week, our folks get up, um, they live in households of um, anywhere between, you know, three and 20 people, depending on the the size of the house. And uh, they get up in the morning and they actually do, they start their day with an hour of silence and solitude. So they get together, they pray together, and then they break off and each of them does an hour of silence and solitude. So they're praying, they're journaling, they're reading scripture. And then at nine o'clock every morning, they spread out all over the city. So every day at nine o'clock, 
Our city gets taken over by all these young adults that are going out and serving all over the city, going to these nonprofits where they serve between 25 and 30 hours a week. And they are consistent. They're there every day. And as a result of that, they become very, very competent in their area of service. They become empowered by their service sites to really do good work and make a a, a real impact. As opposed to like, you know, volunteers that come like one hour a week, that's very helpful, but it's nowhere near as helpful as somebody who's there full time. So these young adults become very, very good at at what they do on a day in and day out basis. And then in the evenings, some nights it's having dinner as a household. They do a thing called prayer and share where they get together and pray together. Some nights it's neighborhood outreach. Some nights it's a part of being a part of a small group at their church. And so all sorts of different kinds of things. And the rest of their time is devoted large part to neighborhood outreach and uh, being involved in uh, their neighborhood. So what sort of impact has Love Thy Neighborhood had on young adults that come serve with us? Yeah, so I think one of the things that's been exciting, so, okay, so we have, we offer 17 different internship tracks now. So that's super exciting to have that many tracks that people can choose from. 25% of our year-long interns uh, receive job offers from their service site. And so it led to employment, 100% of all of our year-long alumni have actually stayed involved in their local church. So oftentimes, you know, young adults go off to college. They never end up plugging into a church community at all. And as a result, you know, many times people end up walking away from their faith. But our young adults are like really, really invested in the local church. So uh, so that's something that really excites us. Okay, so that's a little bit about, you know, where Love That Neighborhood came from um, and what it looks like. Talk to me some about this past year. Yeah, so uh, this past year, I mean, was like crammed full of so many good things. It's almost hard to like narrow it down. But like, let me let me just kind of give you a few a few things. So here's here's an example of of one simple story. One of the things that our young adults do is this like very old fashioned idea of I want to be a good neighbor. I want to learn how to be a good neighbor, interact with my neighbors, pursue my neighbors, love my neighbors. We did a podcast episode on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a novel idea. <laughs> um, and uh, But the other side of it is this, is like the young adults in our program are like basically broke. Uh, they basically like have no cash because they, they essentially take a vow of poverty while they, while they serve with us. However, some of our interns had a new neighbor move in and they decided they wanted to go and do something. So they went out and they bought three tiny cacti at the grocery store. And then they took them over to their neighbor just to welcome them to the neighborhood. And then with, so it was with like their new neighbors. a housewarming gift. It was a housewarming was like, gift, totally. Welcome to the neighborhood. Here's a cactus. Yeah, yeah. Nothing <laughs> says welcome to the neighborhood like cactus. Or, you know, another another great story is one of our interns, Draquan, moved here from Alabama. He himself came from a pretty rough neighborhood and he became a Christian because some guys in his neighborhood reached out to him when he was like 11, 12, 13 years old. And really, subsequently, in a lot of ways, uh, saved his life, um, both spiritually and physically, because of them uh, stepping in. Well, Dre moved here, and as a result of his experience, he decided he was going to do the same thing. So he ended up spending his days with a bunch of middle and high school students uh, that come from a similar neighborhood that he grew up in. And he would go and he would do sports activities with them, but also he would just share the gospel with them, like verbally, out loud, sharing the truth of God's love um, with these youth. Yeah, so Dre, Dre's story in a lot of ways really came full circle um, for him to be able to give back in the ways that, uh, that, that God had shown love to him. Yeah, that's really cool. 
So this all sounds really, really awesome. But, you know, I don't think it's any secret that we're asking a lot of these young adults who come and serve with us. You know, they're serving at a nonprofit. They're serving their neighbors. They're building relationships with each other. They're serving in their church community. Like they're giving, giving, giving a lot. So what are some of the ways that Love Thy Neighborhood is sort of pouring into them, giving back to them so they don't just become burnt out and exhausted in ministry? Yeah, so there's that recent study that came out that said that the number one reason that missionaries leave the field is other missionaries. So, like, relational conflict and burnout, those two issues are, like, huge, right? Mm-hmm. So at LTM, we really from the onset, we wanted to commit ourselves to making sure that every intern received just a variety of different support systems. And so every single young adult that's in our program receives support in a variety of ways, things such as they live in a household uh, with like-minded peers, like-minded Christians that are committing to the same lifestyle. They meet weekly for a thing called triad. So it's just them and two other people. And the whole time they're with us, they're meeting with those two other people. And that's just a peer-to-peer support. Accountability is a part of what that time together is, but a lot of it is just building each other up and encouraging each other. Every young adult is paired with an adult mentor. So somebody that's going to coach them and Uh, spur them on, somebody who's going to be an outside voice. Every young adult is a part of a church small group. They meet every other week with our program director who does some life coaching stuff with them. They have a service site supervisor. They have alumni in the area that they meet with. They receive ongoing training. For example, like we do a thing every other week called LTN Gathered, where we get together, we share a meal together, We have a time of worship together, and then we have guest teachers that come in and teach on just a variety of subjects. So we've done everything from like, we did one on redlining, but we've also done things like on evangelism. It's one more way that we can just support our folks. We do retreats several times a year uh, where we're investing in them and make sure that they like rest really well and eat a lot of food on the retreat and like take naps. But also, you know, we're we're doing a variety of teaching as well. They read curriculum every single week to help form their their mind, that they learn how to think through complicated issues. And then also this year we started adding educational experiences. So our folks actually went to the Underground Railroad Museum in Cincinnati so that they could learn all about uh, the history of the Underground Railroad as well as the transatlantic slave trade and how slavery has impacted the United States. So we're just trying to support our folks from just a ton of different angles. So you mentioned also that part of this support comes through curriculum. What is, what is the curriculum that they go through? Yeah, so we move around to a lot of different topics with curriculum. For example, this last year, some of the books that they read were things like The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, which is an incredible picture of the gospel. They do things like When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert, which is going to be really equipping folks for urban ministry. But they've also done things like The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas are setting up a generation for failure. And that's just a a book about resiliency and a book about why it's necessary to be able to engage hard subjects and do hard things. And so, yeah, so our folks are just doing a ton of different subjects. Yeah. Anything else from this past year that you're excited about? Yeah. You know, we also created our first small group study, you know, where the gospel meets, which was the the free giveaway that we gave away on the podcast last year. Mm-hmm. That's a six-session small group study based around our podcast episodes. That was pretty exciting. That was exciting because that's been an idea for probably like 
two years or something. Yeah. And we finally did it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was cool. Yeah. So Sam Stevenson and I continued to do our Mapping Your Life Story workshops and Enneagram workshops and continue to see people come to those. And that was exciting. Mm-hmm. Enneacast will be rolling out in the next few months. Yep. Yep. We're getting very close to uh, rolling out uh, season three of the Enneacast. Mm-hmm. Yep. So working on that. We did our first art exhibit this last year, Asphalt Saints. And so we took a bunch of our artwork from around the office, put it in an art gallery. And then we hosted an evening where we did a talk about the relationship between beauty and justice. Another exciting thing, too, we had some staff additions. So we brought Rachel Ham on as our new recruitment manager. And she's like, she's an Enneagram 8. So she's just got like so much energy and drive. So she's been like killing it in mm-hmm. that role. I call her the other Rachel. Yeah, the other Rachel. <laughs> we brought on uh, Marley McCune, and she is serving as the development executive assistant, which is a fancy way of saying she's my assistant. Mm-hmm. And um, Well, and she actually interned with us previously. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, she's one of those 25%, you know, mm-hmm. they get job offers because we knew exactly what we were getting when we hired Marley. So, yeah, so we're super excited to have uh, brought Marley on. The other thing, too, and this sounds will sound really boring, Boring, unless you've lived through one, uh, but we survived our first audit. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, and no one got arrested. It was it was great. Um, and as a result of completing our first audit, what that meant is that we got a gold seal of transparency from GuideStar. We were uh, we're now accredited by the Better Business Bureau, and then we also are now accredited by the ECFA. And so we received a whole bunch of certifications this last year as we've just attempted to increase our financial transparency to the public. And now we have shiny plaques all over our office. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we've got shiny plaques everywhere. We ran a fun, kind of a fun ad in uh, Relevant Magazine about our podcast this last year. Mm-hmm. And so let me actually turn it around. You've been asking me a bunch of questions. Let me let me ask you a question. Okay. So as our podcast producer, share with me, you know, five things from this last year that have been exciting for you. Yeah. Okay. I think one of the one of the first things that was really exciting this past year, this past season of the podcast was, you know, you and I got to do some really good interviews with a lot of different folks. And one of those interviews one of my favorite interviews was you and I got to talk with Dr. John M. Perkins, which was like a dream come true. Yeah, it was totally a dream. For us. Yeah, I mean, he's like your hero. Well, yeah, his. I literally have a portrait of him hanging in my office. He doesn't know that, but yeah. Right. I mean, I really, really admire him. Yeah, and so just getting to talk with him and hear his wisdom, he has such a lot of wisdom to share. I mean, he's 89 years old, so he's lived a ton of life, and that was just really encouraging and inspiring to me. Another highlight for me this year was doing our partnership episodes with the Love That Neighborhood podcast. You know, one of those was with the Gospel Coalition. We did where the gospel meets pornography with them. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, that episode, I think that, that episode turned out incredible. I think that the stories in that episode, working with Gospel Coalition was a great experience. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of our most played of the season. Yeah, it's one of our most played of the season, but it's also one of their most played for the entire last year. Yeah, that's right. Because they released it on their channel as well as, you know, we released it on ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was really fun. It was also fun, you know, this past season on the Enneacast, we got to interview a lot of different recording artists. Do you remember we interviewed Ryan O'Neill from Sleeping At Last? Yeah, that was awesome. And that was fun. That's like one of Sam's favorite artists. Yeah, like, Sp- Spotify told her that it was uh, that Sleeping at Last was her artist of the decade. Yeah, yeah. It was just fun to mm-hmm. watch her and Ryan just like have a conversation about yeah. Enneagram together. Totally. Another thing with the Enneacast as well, we did another episode this past season with a guy named Chuck DeGroat. 
And I found that one to be helpful just personally. He talked a lot about self-care. What does that mean? What does that look like? And for me on a personal level, it was very, very encouraging and helpful. That episode made me think uh, often, literally probably every other day I'm going, what does it mean right now to live wholehearted? Mm -hmm. Like, because he used that term. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I thought Chuck's insight was phenomenal. Yeah. And before I tell you, you know, a fifth highlight from this past season, let me like really quickly run through, you know, why do we do what we do? You know, Love Thy Neighborhood. It's this organization for young adults. They're serving in these nonprofit ministries. You know, why do we do a podcast? It's a question that we get asked a lot, actually. And there's really three main reasons why we do a podcast. And the first one is it's a great recruiting tool. You know, this past summer, 50 percent of our interns that came and served with us said the podcast played some role in their decision to come and serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. So it's a fantastic way to get the word out about what's going on and to get young adults interested and involved. A second reason is that it helps disciple the folks who are in the program. You know, it's one thing to talk about concepts on a theoretical level. It's another thing to talk about a topic and then say, here's a real life story about this that you can listen to and understand. Yeah. So like when they're saying like, oh, I don't really know what to do with my outreach day, you know, that we can go, hey, go check out the neighboring episode. And they go listen and they're like, oh, that's so inspiring. And then it gives them a picture of how to go out and be neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third thing is that it helps us educate, you know, not just interns that are here with us, but Christians all over the world. This past season, it was really exciting. We actually charted in a bunch of different countries. You know, we were charting in France, in Germany, in Iceland, in Mexico, in Romania, South Africa, like in the United pe- Arab Emirates. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, think, from- I think in Iceland, I think we were like number two on the charts at one point. Yeah. Iceland, which, I see you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Iceland. <laughs> no idea what to do with that one. Yeah. But that's just that's really inspiring that people, Christians from all over the world are hearing about the stories of what God is doing here in our city. And that actually brings me to the fifth highlight from this season. And that is that. At the end of last year, we reached more than half a million downloads on our podcast. Mm -hmm. So we were really excited about that. Yep. Yep, for sure. So I think like, I, I guess one of the questions that comes up is like, oh, you know, everybody that does your program is your goal that they're just going to all go into urban ministry. They're all going to stay in Louisville. They're all going to go into urban ministry. And I'm like, no, like, I want to make sure that people understand that that is not what we're going for. You know, we've got alumni in all different walks of life. We have an alumni who's a U.S. Army pilot. We have one that works for the International Justice Mission in D.C., someone who works for Moody Publishers in Chicago, a financial analyst in New York, folks doing church planning in Birmingham, InterVarsity Campus Minister in Knoxville. We've got one that's about to move to Togo, West Africa, to work with Samaritan's Purse. But we also do have alumni that have gone on to work for a variety of ministries and nonprofits here in our city. It's really fun for us to go out and go to all of our ministry partners and to walk in and see a bunch of our alumni, you know, working there now. So it has been really exciting just to see our folks actually begin to make a life here as well. Yeah, one of my favorite things that you say repeatedly is that it doesn't matter if you become a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or whatever. Our hope is that you become a different kind of doctor, a different kind of lawyer, a different kind of teacher through your experience with us here. Yeah. Our hope is that this experience will shape you in such a way that Jesus uses it to form your values 
so that you care for your patients different. You spend your money different. You interact, you know, with folks that are more influential than you, different, you know, than than other folks would. Like, but our hope is that um, that this experience would form people in such a way that they would look like kingdom citizens, you know, whatever their vocation is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've talked a lot about how we hope this program is going to form people, but I feel like it's important to actually hear from somebody. So we actually have an alumni with us here now, and that's Marley McCune. Hello. Hi, Marley. Okay, so Marley, let's let's start with this. You know, earlier Rachel and I were talking about just neighboring and neighborhood outreach and what Mm -hmm. an odd experience that is for young adults in this day and age. What has your experience been like with neighborhood outreach? Yeah, so we weren't really sure what we were going to do at first. Um, So my roommates and I decided to get in the car, well, make sandwiches, then get in the car and go to this bridge where we knew some homeless camps were. Uh, We weren't really sure what was going to happen. And we showed up and we parked and we sat there and we sat there. And we sat there a little bit more because we weren't sure what we should do. No one was saying anything. I think everyone was scared. And really, our first thought was, we don't have enough sandwiches. And so then we just started praying. And uh, we saw some people going into a door, like around the corner. We're like, well, I wonder where that goes. <laughs> so we got out of the car with with our lunchbox of sandwiches We saw where some people were going in. We went in this door and we said, is there anywhere we can serve or what is this place? And uh, they said, are you here to help in the kitchen? And we said, sure. So (laughs) we went back through the doors and um, started serving in the kitchen. So what was the place? It was like a homeless shelter or a mission? Yeah, it was um, so Wayside Christian Mission and they had... Um, people that were going through a recovery program, and then that we also served food to the side um, where anyone could come in off the streets. And during my entire year of LTN, one of my roommates and I, we went every Saturday that we could, and we got to meet a lot of the people that worked in the kitchen in the back, and then also other volunteers, which some really good friendships came out of all the people that we got to meet at the mission that we served at. One of the things that I, like, love and hate about neighborhood outreach is, like, it never isn't awkward. It's, like, it's always a matter of, like, am I willing to push through this awkwardness or not? Mm -hmm. And, like, because I'm listening to your story and I'm, like, okay, so they're, like, see a door and decide (laughs) they're just going to go through the door. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, Marley, tell us about, you know, what's something that's been difficult or challenging for you in this experience of serving with Love That Neighborhood? So it is a difficult year. There's a lot of things that come up. But for me personally, I would say stepping into conflict. I think before this year of LTN, I really believed that the goal was to be as easygoing as possible. And that was what was loving. But through this year, I've realized that that's not the goal at all. The goal is to love your friends enough to step into conflict and getting to to do that with my roommates which are now some of my best friends has been really life-changing but also one of the more difficult things throughout the year. Mhm. 
How has the experience of Love the Neighborhood impacted your faith? So we, I mean, we know that the Spirit of God is working in all believers, but until you live in really close community, you don't really get to experience that or know it on at a deeper level. And so my year with LTN has really impacted my faith by showing me the sameness of the Spirit and how it's working and just kind of realizing that the same Spirit that wor- that's working in me is working in others too. And sometimes you just have to trust the Spirit working in others. Yeah. Mm. Well, thanks, Marley, for coming in and sharing a little bit with us. You're welcome. So one of the things that you mentioned, you know, at the very beginning of our conversation was that you wanted to talk about kind of where Love the Neighborhood is going. And so tell me some about where Love the Neighborhood is going within the next three years. Yeah. So we've been like so encouraged since we launched in 2014. You know, our first several years, basically our rule of thumb was like, don't go broke and like, don't let any young adults get hurt while they're serving in the inner city. <laughs> like. And if we could do those two things, like, we're doing pretty well. Like, it, was, it was like we had, like, the lowest standard bar possible. But the good news is that we've moved in these last few years into a space where we're stable. We are doing really well. Uh, there's a lot of vibrancy. We've moved into this beautiful office space. We've got a really good support team. Mm-hmm. We've got a great board of directors. We have um, a podcast studio now. We have now. a podcast studio now instead of recording in a closet. Right. Uh, <laughs> So there's all these incredible things that have happened. A lot of ministries want to grow perpetually, like we're just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And really, uh, that's not our goal. Our goal is really to is to maintain annual goals. And that what that looks like is we really want to see about 25 people per year do our year-long program. And then we want to see about 55 people total do our summer program. And so our goal every year is just to have those numbers year after year come and serve with us. And you don't want to get bigger than that. Um, we don't really want to because we feel like we can give so much personal attention to the young adults that come and serve with us. We don't want them to feel like numbers that kind of get lost in the shuffle. And some of it, too, honestly, is is personality and temperament. I had to come to terms with the fact that, like, I'm not really built to run something that is, like, monolithic and gigantic. I've seen it chew up and spit out tons and tons of, of great leaders. And I think the best thing for our interns, as well as for my staff, is uh, is for me to be the leader of a smaller organization. So now over these next three years, there are a bunch of things that we that we want to aim for and head towards on the programming side. So in terms of our boots on the ground ministry, our interns that are serving, we want to train and equip 180 young adults over the next three years. We want to offer more educational experiences. So we want to take our young adults actually out to museums or to go visit with ministry leaders in other cities. We want to have them have more hands-on experiences where they can learn about important educational things that we feel that they need to know about. We want to create an alumni advisory council so our alumni can get together and speak into the program. We want to figure out a long-term housing solution. This might come as a surprise, but finding housing for 55 people every summer is a little tricky uh, because you got to furnish it, move everybody in, and then when they're gone, you got to find out, you know, where you're going to store all this stuff. So we want to figure out a long-term housing solution, and then also we want to offer educational grants. Student loan debt is the number one reason that people cannot do our program, and we would really like to be able to offer an educational grant to those that do our year-long program to help them with their their student loan debt. Mm-hmm. 
we want to continue to invest in teaching. So we want to complete the next several seasons of the LTN podcast, the next several seasons of the Inia cast. And also we are working on our first two books. So we're working on a book on the Enneagram. And then we are working on a book that has more to do with the LTN podcast. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we're actively working on those now. When I expand our board of directors, we want to create a network, a training network to allow other cities to duplicate LTN. So if you hear this and that sounds interesting to you, you can email me at jesse at lovethatneighborhood.org. I'll tell you more about that. Uh, but the truth is this. We can't do any of that without help. Yeah. So how can folks that are listening to the podcast help with these things? You know, besides being a listener, which we really appreciate and we value, what are other ways that they can help? The biggest thing that we need are lots of small donors. We had a really good end of year last year. We concluded 2019. We raised more money in the month of December than we ever have before. And a lot of our listeners stepped up and gave, and it made a huge difference. And so we are really grateful for how successful 2019 was. But as we look at these next three years, where we believe that God is calling us in these next three years and the endeavors that we believe we're calling, being called into, um, we need new, fresh support. So we need support from folks that have never given support before. Mm-hmm. We need folks that are willing to sign up to support our work and our ministry for five bucks a month, 10 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month. We need lots and lots of folks to help do that. And so what we're looking for today is we're looking for 100 households to sign up to become monthly donors. It doesn't need to be a large amount of money, although we'll take a large amount of money. uh, But we just need lots and lots of folks that can give small amounts. Small amounts of money help organizations like ours be very stable uh, so that we don't just depend on large gifts that come in and we're riding the wave of cash flow up and down all the time. But really, listeners that give small amounts on a monthly basis is what helps us just stay very steady. And it helps, honestly, it helps me be able to continue to focus on the work that we're doing instead of just on fundraising all the time. So the biggest way that our listeners can help besides sharing this podcast with friends and letting other people know about the work that we do is uh, is signing up to become a monthly donor. And the way that they can do that is by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash donate. And you just sign up for whatever amount of money you can afford And that will help us continue to make podcasts. It'll help us continue to do boots on the ground ministry, continue to help us to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. So the biggest thing we need, monthly donors. Jesse, thanks so much for sharing, you know, giving us a vision for, you know, the broader scope of what Love Thy Neighborhood is, what we do here, as well as your vision for where we're going to be going in the future. Yeah, I'm so grateful for all of our listeners, you know, that have been listening to these episodes and these podcasts. For those listeners that have made the transition from being just passive listeners into also folks that are supporting us. For those listeners that are doing faithful work in their cities, wherever it is that they are. I just feel like, Rachel, like you and I are just in such a privileged position. You know, we're just we're just so grateful to our listeners for all the ways that you guys have been involved and continue to support the work we do, but also continue to faithfully follow God wherever it is that you are. So we look forward with anticipation uh, these next several years ahead of us as Love Thy Neighborhood. We anticipate God is at work. We are going forward and looking for him to be an active part of what he's doing, and we could not do it without your support. And so thank you, all of you, for all that you've done. And again, if you'd like to sign up to support us, 
head over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash donate. And uh, we're going to keep on working on podcasts. In fact, that's what I'm about to go do right now. Yeah, yeah. So (laughs) thanks, everybody. Appreciate all of you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.